Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Crazy Human Podcast. I'm Nina, and I'm excited to get started. I mentioned in the trailer in the little intro episode that I did that I want this podcast to be about all the things that we are ashamed of, all the things that we don't want to talk about to others because they might think we're crazy, they might think, you know, who thinks or feels or talks like that, when in reality I think they are the very things that we all share in common as part of the human experience in a lot of cases. And because we're quiet about it, we miss out on the potential for so much more connection and so much more freedom and just more contentment in life, I think. And so when I started thinking about what I wanted the first episode to be about, I realized relatively quickly that it would make sense to start at the beginning. And for our journeys, our life journeys, the beginning is how did we come into these lives, right? How did we come into this world? What shaped us early on? And that's why I want to do this first episode about our sort of childhood self that still lives with us and within us, how that still affects us in our lives now as adults and and why I think it really matters to, you know, to think about this and to look at this. So, yeah. Let's dive in. I think that a lot of people get sort of turned off when you talk about your inner child or like inner child work, right? That it can it can seem kind of woo-woo, kind of out there. People are like, ooh, well, that's that's not for me, you know? And I, I never really understood that because it seems so clear that we are the same person in the same body with, you know, memories of everything that happened to us along the way, even if we don't consciously remember everything that happened to us. And yeah, I mean, it's just the fact that I'm the same human in the same body that I was at one, at, you know, five years old, at 10, at 15, and everything that happened, that happened to me is sort of still with me, is still resonating within me and has become part of who I am today. Yeah, so I think it's that just makes it a relevant part of us to to take some time to think about. I just quickly want to clarify that what I don't want to talk about here today is all the stuff that we've learned in recent years about the relevancy of epigenetics and how things that happen to the generations before us also matter uh, much more than we were aware before and how the things that happened to those ancestors of ours, our, our parents, our grandparents, are actually passed on to us genetically. And that, that, you know, the sort of traumas that they went through can really affect us and, you know, who we are and how we function in this world. And I think this is really a, a really important aspect. And I'm really glad that we know so much more about that now. Um, but what I want to talk about today is really what happened to that child that we used to be. And how did that shape us? And how does it still show up today in our, in our lives, in our behaviors, in our relationships? So I just recently heard a, a really interesting interview with Dr. Becky Kennedy. She's a psychologist and a parenting expert. And she mentioned that she thought 
two of the most important things that a parent is sort of in charge of as part of their role as as parent is to provide the child with validation and empathy. And the way she put it was that what children are experiencing, and I think this is true for what all of us are experiencing, but in this case she was talking about, so when a child has an emotion or an, an experience, a reaction to something, that that's usually sort of an, an internal experience and there are no real markers in the outside world to confirm that that's real, that that's valid, that that is actually happening even. And that that's what these what the validation and the empathy is so important for because it basically lets the child know that their experiences and in a way they themselves are real. So it's confirmation that what I'm experiencing is real, it's valid, and I think to an extent it, it even goes further than that to like, it's understandable, right? So it's like other humans can understand what I'm going through and, and you know, sort of mirror that back to me and empathize with that. Yeah, and that I think that that means that that is sort of how, as children, we can learn that everything we go through is part of the human experience, if we get that validation and that empathy. And so I think based on that, it's easy to imagine that it can cause all kinds of issues if that is missing. And of course, there are many of us for whom this was not, you know, our parents couldn't provide that or certainly not in the way or in the, with the sort of frequency that maybe we would have needed. And yeah, that that can really lead to us growing up into adults who who don't really trust their own feelings or their own intuition because they never they never really learned to look at that as an important signal as opposed to just something crazy that's happening inside of them that's inconvenient or that causes anger or whatever other emotion in their parent but that that isn't really that doesn't really make sense And, you know, of course, we each have our own, you know, stories, our own unique childhood experiences. For me, I know that I was too sensitive. That was sort of the main label that was applied to me as a kid in my family. And I think the way I experienced that was that that sensitivity was seen as a choice that I was making that was inconveniencing the rest of the family, that I was being high maintenance, that I was being difficult and it never felt to me like that was considered just an integral part of who I was and how I function in this world. And that therefore that wasn't really, it wasn't mirrored back to me as like potentially a, you know, an understandable and reasonable part of me that I was just expressing. And I often felt like me being so difficult and having all these emotions and all these problems was sort of disrupting the flow of the family. You know, the family could have had such a nice time if it wasn't for me causing drama, if it wasn't for me making a scene, or even, you know, if it wasn't for me throwing up in the back of the car instead of sleeping. <laughs> yeah, and for me, that led to... I basically never felt like I was okay the way I was. I was not right. I was not all right the way I was. And so that led to me learning 
very quickly and then continuing to live in a way where I would look on the outside to see what was needed of me. Because I never had any sense that my inner reaction, my own feelings about a situation had any validity or could serve me in any way in terms of identifying the correct way to react on the outside. You know, the correct way being like what will work, what will cause the least problematic reaction or what will actually get my needs met. Because for me, this was often a question of do I need to pull myself together and act stronger than I actually feel and be like, I can do this. Or do I need to completely fall apart because I really, really need whatever I need in this situation to actually be considered, to actually be honored and to actually be considered real or important enough to maybe change something. And I mean, at the end of the day, the essence of all that was that I felt like I was too weak for, for life itself, really. And it was often seemed sort of shocking to me that I was even still around, that I, how could I have made it that far if I was so fundamentally just too weak? And I think that's sort of the point of why this whole childhood experience and, and inner child, you know, sort of development matters, because it's about how we hold ourselves back as adults in our lives now. And... Basically, what happens, I think, generally is that we do and say the same things to ourselves over and over and over again that happened to us as a kid, right? So I spent the next 20 years telling myself internally that I was just too weak and that I just had to pull myself together. And I basically spent all of my time trying to prove that I wasn't too weak and at the same time being so deeply convinced that I was and that there was no way that I could ever prove otherwise, that it was sort of this vicious circle of, you know, there was no winning, there was no getting out of it. And yet I was going to keep repeating that same pattern of trying to prove that I was something that I was not and then failing at that and then putting myself down and telling myself what a loser I was again, because once again, I had proven to myself and the world around me that I was too weak. And, you know, when we continue these destructive patterns, it's why would we ever consider pursuing a dream or trying something bold, trying to be, you know, grow beyond those labels that we came up with? Because that, that's never going to work out anyway. That was sort of my whole story. Why would I even try something? I know it's not going to work out. Not for me, right? And I think one thing that I think is really important is that those voices and whatever those voices are saying, right? You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not skinny enough for whatever, you know, you're not something enough usually, or you're something too much. And what's important to recognize is that, first of all, those voices are never our true, like, innermost selves. They don't sound like that. And we don't really wouldn't hang out with people who sound like that also on the outside, usually. But that's a separate issue. But I think that those internal voices that are repeating those messages to us tend to fall into one of two categories. The first is, this is a voice I recognize. I know who this is, right? This is my mom's voice, my dad's voice, somebody's voice from my childhood who kept saying this thing to me and now I'm just playing it on a loop in my head. 
So I think this kind of voice is in a way the simpler version, but also maybe the more destructive one, because it's just a negative message that's been directly taken from outside and internalized, and we keep repeating it to ourselves. The second kind of voice, I think, tends to be a bit more nuanced. So in my mind, that's more like a type of message that I kept getting or a kind of way that I kept being made to feel as a child that I've sort of boiled down to this essence of what is true about myself, which isn't true, but what I have internalized as a true thing about myself from those messages I used to get. And so with these kinds of inner voices, I think still, it's good to be suspicious, but at the same time, they're not really out to get us. They're not trying to destroy our lives, right? They are just these coping mechanisms, these strategies that we came up with as kids to survive, to get the care that we needed. Because as a kid, that is a life or death equation, right? You need your caretakers to care for you and to take care of you. And for a long time, that also means to help you stay alive. So they were there to protect us and to help us survive when we depended on those connections. And we needed to connect to the people that were taking care of us, even if they didn't see us or appreciate us for who we really were. And I think for me, it was a real journey to get to a place where I could see it in that light and thank those voices for working so hard to protect me and for trying so desperately to still keep me safe but also asking them to maybe take a step back because I'm grown now and I've got this. And what I realized through that whole journey is that I think that those voices get quieter when our inner child starts feeling safer. So that went hand in hand for me to really quiet those voices more and more and to really you know, feel like I was making strides and breaking free from those destructive cycles that I was stuck in it was when I sort of evolved from first having some basic empathy for my inner child, not just thinking, yes, I was so weak, I was so this or that, but realizing, wait, but I was, you know, I was just a sensitive kid who was, you know, who was trying to get their needs met. And then finally, I got to a place where I could think of that child that I used to be and talk to that child that I used to be internally in the way that I would talk to my own children and that I would look at my own children. And I think for me, it really took having my own kids and seeing them and, and imagining what it would be like for them to feel that way. Imagining what it would be like for them to feel so alone in the world. I mean, I felt absolutely alone. And like no one will ever understand me. Nobody has any of these feelings or thoughts that I have. And I am just strange and different and not worthy of love and belonging because this clearly doesn't make sense to anyone else. And so when I got to that place of looking at my own children and thinking about that, it felt so devastating. That would be so terrible for them to have to feel that alone and feel that different and that isolated. It really took that for me, I think, to to realize, well, that's what you were like. You were, right? We all come into this world, these innocent little kids that just come with their own quirks and their own personalities and their own 
inner experiences and that with my kids, I have no problem telling them and trying everything to make them feel like they're perfectly imperfect, great, amazing, wonderful, just the way they are, and they will always be welcome here. And all their feelings and all their experiences are valid and, you know, make sense just because they're having them. And so, you know, finally I could get to a place of feeling that way about my childhood self. That I was great, I was exactly right just the way I was, and it's it's a shame that there wasn't people around to see that and to mirror that back to me. But that was not about me. That that was not due to a lack of something within me. And I think that really unlocked, because on my healing journey I was... I was so sure that I was always going to be alone. I was always going to feel so alone and I was always going to... Nobody would ever understand me, right? I just I just felt like such a deep knowing that those things were just true about me. And as a somewhat healthier adult who has processed some of these things, I can see that that was really like a sudden realization that I am always going to be alone. At the end of the day, we all are. And probably nobody will ever truly understand us. Because we can't really completely understand someone else's experience and feelings and perspective. And that that's okay. I don't have to be afraid of that because I am whole and I am enough. And I will never abandon myself again. Because I think that's the crux of all that. That's when we abandon ourselves and those parts of ourselves that have always felt abandoned, that that's when we get stuck in these cycles and we can't heal and we can't feel whole and we can't feel like we're enough. And for that inner child inside of me, I think that meant that it could finally sit back and feel safe because there is now an adult who sees them, who understands them, who validates them, and who will take care of them, whose love and whose validation and whose protection is not contingent on anything. I think that was such a key. And that's, you know, looking back, I realized how that's all connected and what an important process that was for me. So to bring this back to like us as adults and as parents or role models for future generations, I've come to a place where I love the thought that the things that happen in our daily life here at home with our kids will hopefully be the content of their therapy in a couple of decades. And that's because we're all human and we're all doing the best we can. I really think that that's true. It doesn't always look that way. It doesn't always feel that way. But I do think that everyone's always doing the best that they can. My parents were doing the very best they could with their backgrounds, with the tools they had available in the environment that they were in at the time. All of us do the very best we can. And it's never good enough that children don't get hurt, that they don't feel unseen, misunderstood, not valid with their experiences and so on. And I think it's so funny that the things that we do that mirror what our parents did in our childhood are the things that make us feel most ashamed. I've had a few conversations with other moms mostly about the shame we feel when we react in a way that, for example, our mothers reacted, right? When we get angry like our moms did, or when we get, you know, when we retreat like our moms did, when we punish our kids, you know, with the sort of immature behavior, when we get triggered and when we, you know, we are at the end of our ropes. 
And it is so funny that that is the most shameful thing we feel like that happens to us, right? We do all kinds of things that aren't what we want to do and how we want to show up with our kids. But when we repeat those things that we remember from our childhood, when we default to those old patterns, that makes us feel so much shame. And actually, that's the whole thing. That's why it is a cycle and one that can be broken. But also, that's always going to be in there. That's always, that's what shaped us. That was such a big part of us learning how to be human and in a way, indirectly, how to parent a human. And so it's sort of one of the most fundamentally human things. And yet we are so ashamed to talk about it that we all pretend like it doesn't happen to us. And again, thereby making us feel isolated, making us feel like we're the only ones who are doing this. And so, you know, all of us feel alone in our shame and our thinking that we're the only ones who have this problem instead of just talking to each other and seeing that this is it's the human condition (laughs) and I think in terms of us as adults who used to be those children who did get hurt in whatever ways right that the great thing is that we do not need to make peace with anyone we don't need to settle anything with our parents we don't even need to forgive anyone we don't have to say oh that was okay or that was because a lot of the things that happened to many of us were not okay it just working toward maybe a, a form of forgiveness is about us is about freeing ourselves from these limiting beliefs that we can get stuck in and freeing ourselves to live our lives as people who feel more whole and more integrated and i heard this a few years ago this this idea that We really just need to raise our kids to be emotionally intelligent and emotionally aware enough that they will realize when they need help, right? That they won't spend 20 years doing the same thing to themselves that they felt hurt by or that that caused them problems as a kid. They just need to be good enough to realize when they need help and maybe go to therapy or whatever works for them. And I found that such a liberating thought because we can do that. If we do a little bit of work on our own stuff, I think we can all do that. And it's such a beautiful thing that we live in a time when we can get this help. And those of us who have the privilege to go to therapy, to get all kinds of support, and to do this work, we just have to step up and do it, I think. And it's because we are worth it. We can set ourselves free and we can break these cycles for the next generations. And I think you can tell I'm very, I feel very passionately about this because I think it can make such a difference in each of our lives, which is huge in itself. We are worth that. And it can make a difference in our children's lives, in the next generation's lives, in the lives of everyone we ever encounter. And beyond that, I think it can make a real difference in the world. And someone whose work I really love and who I really admire is Brene Brown. I think her research into, you know, vulnerability, shame, courage is just revolutionary. And all of her work at the core is sort of about belonging, right? The the sort of idea of true belonging as opposed to fitting in, right? Where we look on the outside what's needed so that we can fit into this group as opposed to belonging where we, you know, show up the way we are and we are either accepted that way or not. And a lot of her work's sort of about, you know, why is this belonging so important to us as humans, as the social animals that we are? And what I what I loved was she talked about these fascinating interviews she did with kids 
who were sort of 10 to 12 years old about this concept of belonging. And so many of them said that it's painful to feel like you don't belong at school and with your peers, but it's nothing compared to the feeling of not belonging at home. And, you know, they talked about parents wanting them to be more popular, more athletic, more, you know, talented, artistically inclined, or whatever it was. And that what she talked about, though, was that this happens because of our own unhealed wounds from our childhoods. So we are desperately trying to make sure our kids don't feel the same way we did. So, for example, right, if I didn't feel popular, I didn't have a lot of friends as a child... I want so desperately to avoid my kid having to go through the same thing or if I was bullied or, you know, whatever it may be. I thought it was so interesting because she said that the reason we are trying so hard to make sure our kids don't go through that same thing is because we can't stand going through it again. It's not really on their behalf. It's our own unhealed inner children who cannot bear going through that again. And so we try to help them avoid feeling that way. And really, we're trying to avoid feeling that way again ourselves. So we try to, well, maybe they won't belong, but at least they'll fit in and they won't go through those same painful experiences. But not only does that not work, will it most likely not help them have more friends or feel more like they're fitting in or belonging at school, but we actually take away their feeling of belonging even at home. Right? We take away the feeling that they're okay just the way they are at home by trying to push them into being somebody they're not. And that idea struck such a chord with me because, again, that's how it is a cycle. And that, that is why it's so important to break those cycles. Because we'll just put them through the same thing, only worse in a way. And from my own experience, I think that not being right is a lot for a child to go through. Just not having any place, any person where you feel like you're okay the way you are. Because for a long time, I felt a lot of shame, like on my therapy and healing journey. What is wrong with me? Nothing that bad even happened to me. Why am I so messed up? I felt like, you know, why am I struggling so hard? And that I finally came to the conclusion that it is a major thing for a kid to go through when you never felt like you were right the way you were. And so I think this also closes, sort of closes the loop and brings us back to the very beginning and to why does our inner child matter so much? Why is it important for us to acknowledge that that is a part of us that we still carry within ourselves? And why I think it's so important that we embrace that part of us, that we heal that part of us. Yeah, and that we just take that younger version of ourselves by the hand or take them into our arms and make them feel safe and make them feel seen so that we don't have to have our wounded inner child continue to make us feel afraid and hold us back from doing what we came here to do, what we want to do in this world. And so to wrap up this episode, I think in the end, for me, it's about the fact that we're all in this together. My whole worldview is based on the idea that none of us are more special or more important than anybody else. We are all these small but unique parts of something that's so much bigger than ourselves. And we may be small, but the fact that we're unique also means that we each have our unique gifts and contributions that we bring to this world. Nobody can bring exactly what you can bring. Nobody has the same contribution to make in this world. 
And I just want to be clear that I'm not saying that this is easy, this is fun, this is something where we can like find some quick fix. But I think that setting ourselves free and giving ourselves the ability and the permission to really show up and make our contribution, I think it's a lifelong journey and it's hard work. And it can feel too hard sometimes. And then we also need to give ourselves a break and take some space if we need it. So yeah, it's not easy and it's not always pleasant, but neither is living in these cages from our past. And I think if we get really honest, that we all know that deep down inside. And so we are worth putting in this work. And these, this is our life, right? Our life needs to be important enough and precious enough to put in this work and break free from these cages and at least see what we can do. So yeah, I think that's my, you know, my conclusion on this subject. Let's accept this challenge and set ourselves free from outdated beliefs and patterns that don't serve us anymore so that we can bring everything we have to offer so that we can live full, joyful lives and so that we can all make our little contribution to making our world a better place. So that's all for me and I can't wait to hear about your experiences with this, about what resonated with you, about, you know, whatever comes up for you on this subject. And I'm going to put links to all the resources that I mentioned, the interviews, the books, etc. in the show notes. So you can check there if you're interested in learning more about, about that research that I cited or anything else. If there's something you feel like I missed that you would be interested in, then feel free to reach out and ask me about it. And for today, I would like to leave you with one of my favorite quotes from Brene Brown. True belonging doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. So let's get honest. Let's get real with ourselves and each other. Let's get vulnerable, even if it's awkward sometimes. And until next time, take good care of yourselves.